Carroll, one of the people who serve here at Faith Bible Fellowship. And the elders asked me to go ahead and preach for the month of December while Pastor Tim is on sabbatical. And so um, for those of you who were here last week, I'm back. And for those who weren't, welcome. Um, so just a real quick, a real quick recap from last week. What we talked about last week is is that at the core of God's throne, at the core of, of his reign, at the core at, of his kingship, that foundation, that foundation is his holiness, is God's righteousness, and it's God's justice. And it's through these lenses that we saw that God, as king, as Lord over the earth, will judge the earth accordingly. And so we looked at, at God's holiness and what that means for God to be holy, means that he has to be separate from sin. He cannot be dwelling amongst sin. He cannot be in sin. He has to be separate from sin. And we saw that that our sin, in essence, puts us in a place where we are against God. We are, in a sense, we are God's enemies because of our sin that we have and because he is a holy and he is a righteous God. And we saw that, that God remains true to himself. He remains true to his character. And in order for that for, to happen, in order for God to remain holy, in order for God to remain righteous, in order for God to remain just, he has to, God has to judge sin. Sin cannot go unanswered. It will not go unanswered. And so today, the question is, how, how does God deal with our sin? Accordingly. So what we see is that throughout the story of redemption, God does, he will judge sin. You see it in Sodom and Gomorrah. You see it all throughout the Bible. God judges sin. And so as we see also throughout the Bible, we see that, that God is a God who makes covenants with his people. God's answer to our sin is to enter into a covenantal relationship with his people. We see that at the very beginning. We see it at the creation covenant. We see it with the covenant that he makes with Noah, that he makes with Abraham, that he makes with Moses and David. Ultimately, we see it fulfilled in the new covenant. And so we see that that God works and deals with our sin through covenants. And we see that that we have to understand that this isn't God working and dealing with our sin through covenants is not a plan B. This, this has always been the way God was going to deal with our sin. This isn't like, okay, man sinned, plan B, plan C. No, this is always how God, we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, we believe that, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit were with God at the creation. And this has been a part of God's story for redemption from the beginning to deal with our sin by entering into a covenantal relationship with us. And so today, I believe we, we have a, mis, a misunderstanding of what that means. And at the most basic, what a covenant is, and our understanding is, is just an agree, agreement between two people. And that's it. And we simply think it's, it's a contract like we, we sign with, with our phone companies or, or with cable companies. And, and, and we forget to see that, that a part of our covenant with God is we are entering into a relationship with him. And that makes the covenant that we make with God different than what we tend to think about in, in today's society. 
And so how do we understand covenants in, in regards to entering into a covenantal relationship with Christ? We have to we have to understand that this is a more this is an intimate covenant relationship that we have with Christ, with God. You know, it's it, it mirrors what we say when we take our vows in, in marriage. And it's saying that when we choose to enter and when God enters into a covenant relationship with us, what we're saying is that despite, despite how we feel that day, despite how we may feel the rest of our lives, we are entering into a covenantal relationship. It's the same that despite how I may feel towards my wife, I will choose to love her no matter what. And there's days where that's hard. And it's, you know, there's days where... All I can do is say, I love you. And she's been blessed because there's no hard days with me. <laughs> no, but, um, but yes, it's this idea that what we see is when God is talking in covenant for, and, and talks, what we see in Deuteronomy 29, chapter 29, um, verse 12 to 13, God says, so that you may enter into a sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, and he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And we see it again in Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after this days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And this idea that there's, that God will be your God and you will be God's people. It's this intimate language going on. We're in a relationship with Christ and there's this intimacy in it. And that's what it means to enter into a covenant relationship with God. So covenants are the primary way that we see that God will deal with our sin. It's the sole reason that he chooses to enter into a covenant relationship with us. It's to deal with our hearts. It's to deal with the mess that we have in our lives. And so what we'll see that in today's passage, we'll see that God is going to make a covenant with Abraham and ultimately with his people. And what we'll see through is that God takes this very serious. When God chooses, when God enters into a covenant relationship with his people, he takes it very seriously. It's not something that he takes lightly, something that he cares about deeply. And we'll see that in today's passage. So if you will, if you can turn to Genesis 15 with me, and we'll read the whole chapter. It's about 21 verses. Starting in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. 
and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur out of the Chaldeans of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, and to the river of Egypt, to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenzizites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Pray. Bow your heads, close your eyes, and pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace over our lives. Father God, we thank you for bringing us here safely today, Lord. We thank you for just giving us a place where we're able to come and sit in comfort and hear your word proclaimed, Father God. We ask that as we as we work our way through this passage today, Father God, that that you speak to us where we need to be speak to, that you convict us where we need to be convicted us, Father God. We give you praise, Lord. We give you honor. We ask that you eliminate any distractions today, Lord, that we're able to come humble before you. And hear the word that you want us to hear, Father God. May the meditations of my hearts and the words of my mouth be edifying to this congregation today. In your name we pray. Amen. And so we come to this verse, to this chapter 15, and it says in verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. And we have to ask ourselves, well, what things? What is, what is, what is he referring to here? What is the author talking about? And so if we go back a chapter, we see that, that this has been roughly 10 years after Abram has left Haran, after God has called Abram out of his land. It's been about 10 years. And so Abram has been traveling. He's brought Lot with him. And we see in 13 that, that, that Abram and Lot are separate. They get separated. And then, then a king comes down. And there's a battle. And the people take Lot. And Abram hears about this. And he gathers 318 men, and he goes, and he finds these people, and there's a, there's a battle, the war, of the, five, the, the war of the five armies, and Abram is able to defeat them. He's able to bring Lot back. What we see in chapter 13, chapter 14, is as he's come back, you have um, the king Melchizedek. This is one of the only times other than in Hebrews where we hear about this king. He comes in, he's called the priest of God most high. 
and he brings bread and wine to Abram. And then we see and then the king of Sodom comes and, and he tells to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, professor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours. Thus you should say, I have made Abram rich. And so what we see is that Abram refused the worldly riches of Sodom in chapter 14. He's saying, I don't need what you have. You can't offer me anything because I serve God the most high. And it's in that it's after this that we come to verse 15. And the Lord says, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And then Abram responds in verse two and three. And we see we see that Abram knows. I believe Abram knows what God is talking about. He knows exactly what God is referring to. And we see in verse two, Abram said, oh, Lord, God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will, will be my heir. So we see that Abraham is, is, is struggling here. He's, God is saying, I will give you a great reward. And he's saying, well, what will you give me? And arguably we can make it the case that Abraham is probably one of the, the wealthiest men at this time in this area. He, has, he had 318 people at his disposal to go and fight these armies. Some commentators say that these, these, were, these were men who, of war or army, in a sense. And he has great possession he has a lot of possessions. And so Abram is struggling here and he's, and he's asking God, what will you give me? And I don't think this is a, a struggle or a question out of, out of a unbelief in Abraham and Abram. I think this is coming from a fact that Abram knows what God promised him back a couple chapters ago. He knows what, what, that, that God told him that you will be a great nation. I will bless you and you will be a great nation. Abram knows these things and, and he's believing in God's word. And it's out of this believing in God's word that he's struggling now because it's been 10 years. He still has no son. He's 85 years old. He's not getting any younger. And so he's like, God, you told me this and I believe that you told me this. But I haven't seen anything yet. A lot of times, as believers, as Christians, it's a lot harder when we're struggling because we believe in God's word. We believe in God's character and the things that the Bible says. And so when times get rough, whatever that may be, financially or health, and it's, 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 it's a struggle. It's harder because we, we know that God is a God of love and that God will, will keep us and take care of us. And then there's times where we, don't, where we feel like we're, that's not happening. And so we, we, we start questioning God, not, not of unbelief, but out of, we know who you are, God. What's going on here? And this is kind of what I, I feel like is happening here with Abram. His, his struggle is out of his belief in God. So his struggle is that he doesn't have a son yet. He's asking out of this. He's, his struggle is, is time. I'm not getting any younger, God. What's going, to, what's going on? See, Abram still believes that God is going to make him a great nation. And he knows that in order for that to happen, he needs to have a son. He needs to have an heir. 
And he does it. And that's where we see the struggle of Abraham happening. That's where these questions of Abraham is, is coming. And Abraham knows that the promise that God made him is contingent on, on Abraham having a seed to pass down. So how does God answer Abram? In verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And so how, how does God respond to Abram? He takes him outside and just like he did after the flood with Noah, he points Abram to look up towards the heavens. Look up. This is my sign. This is what I'm going to do through you, Abram. In verse 6, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is a very powerful and important verse for what we believe as believers. And one of the questions that I was struggling with as I was going through this, this passage this week is, is what did Abraham suddenly believe? Because he, he walked out when, when God called him, he walked. When God has said things, Abraham has, has, has acted out. But this is the first instance, this is the only instance where we see that, that God is saying, and he believed, and it is counted to him as righteousness. I think Abraham went and he saw the stars. And I think he had a greater understanding of what God was going to, through, going to do through him. I think he had a better understanding of, of, of the magnitude of what God's promise is going to be. It wasn't just a great nation. He wasn't just going to be blessed with a great nation, but he was going to be blessing to the nations. And I think Abraham is finally understanding that. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And this is the first time that we see in the Bible where, where faith and, and righteousness are, are put together, where, where faith is considered someone's justification. And this is the first time we come across this in the Bible. Abraham is considered righteous because of his faith, because of his belief, not because he did anything. Abraham's been doing a lot of stuff at this point. He's left his homeland. He's trusted God. But now he, he's finally believing, and it's counted to him as righteousness. This is where Paul comes to explain justification by faith in Christ alone. What we see in Romans and in Galatians and all throughout the New Testament, when we talk about we are saved through faith in Christ alone, this is the verse that Paul comes to. So we have to understand better what's going on here. And we see in verse 6, there's, there's two types of languages going on. You have this idea of, of courtroom language is, is that he's being made righteous. And we have this language that, that's more of a banking term, and, and it's counted to him. And we see that, that this isn't just ordinary, regular righteousness. This is God's perfect righteousness coming to Abraham, being bestowed on Abraham, being laid on him. 
we see that this, this is the type of righteousness that that's expunges the record of any wrongdoing. This is God's perfect righteousness being imputed on, on Abram. So in, in today's culture, what we see is this is, this is equivalent to, to a criminal going before a judge and living up to his um, parole, doing everything that's being asked of him, and the judge says, your record is expunged. And at that point, in the, in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of our, our judicial system, he's no longer a criminal. He no longer has to check off, are you a convicted felon on applications? It's been, it's been cleared. And this is what's going on here. And so when sinners, when we stand before the throne of God, there is only one thing that can acquit us of our wrongdoing. There's only one thing that can make us righteous before. And that is the perfect righteousness of God through Christ Jesus being bestowed on us. That's the only thing that we can stand and, and be cleared of. That's the only thing. So this banking term being counted to him as righteousness. This idea of being accredited to him or it's where we get this idea of um, the doctrine of imputation. Is that there is nothing that Abram did other than just believe. And it was accounted to him. It was accredited to him. It was, it was laid. It was given to him as, as righteousness. The righteousness of God was given to Abram because of his belief. Not because he did anything. And so we see that, that, that Abraham earns this righteousness not out of what he's done, but out of God's love. And, and that's, that's what happens with us today. It's all based off God's grace. There is nothing that you can do to earn your own salvation. This is the gospel. This is the good news. That there is nothing you can do to earn it. That it's all done by God. You can, it doesn't matter how many times you come to church. It doesn't matter how many times you, you pray or open up your Bible. There is nothing that you can do to save yourself. Paul in Romans 4, 16 says, This is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. So the, the, the promise of salvation relies on God's grace alone, not on anything else. Because God is the only one who can secure the promise. God is the only one who can make us holy and righteous. And so if this verse is true, what we have is the doctrine of salvation in Christ alone by faith alone. There's no good deed. doesn't matter how many charities you give to. doesn't matter how much time or how good of a person. doesn't matter if, if you're better than the person next to you or, or, your, or your neighbor. There is nothing that you can do. It's all by God's grace. And it's all by his love and mercy that we're able to come and and receive the perfect righteousness of Christ. We are only counted right in the covenants of God. 
R.C. Sproul says, the whole point of the gospel is that God declares us righteous in his sight before we are inherently righteous. There is nothing that you can do to save yourself. Ephesians 2, 45 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. In verse 8, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So the gospel of of Jesus Christ is that there is nothing you can do but simply believe and repent of your sins. And by believing and by repenting, then we are seen in God's eyes as the perfect righteousness of Christ is put on us and we receive it. And it's by then at that point that you are saved, that you are a believer, that you are a Christian. There's nothing else that you can do. There's no way you can earn it other than saying, God, I believe and I repent and I turn from my sins. I'm no longer that person. I want to seek after you, God. And it's at that point that God lays the perfect righteousness of Christ on you. And that's the only way. So don't mistake God's patience with us as, as, a, as a way as him saying, keep doing what you're doing. Don't mistake God's, God's patience with, with permission to keep sinning and, and keep turning away from God. If you're here today and you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't said, God, I believe that your son is king and rules over the earth, talk to someone. There's men and women here who love to talk with you after the service and explain to you what it means to come into a loving covenant relationship with Christ. On the back of the bulletin, there's numbers and there's emails. Reach out. I would love to talk to you after the service to to better explain what it means to enter into a covenant relationship with Christ. Please seek someone out. We go further on in in our verse. In verse 7, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So this is so like this is just like us. God, God oftentimes will do things in our lives. And the next time that we're struggling, we, we start questioning God again and, and struggling. And this is all that simply happens. God is like, how Abraham's asking, how will I know? So what is God's response to Abraham this time? And he said, verse 9, he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old. Don't, don't let the significance of that pass you. This is, these are the same exact animals that, that will be used in the Levitical priesthood as sacrifices for the atonement of, of Israel's sins. And a turtle dove and a young pigeon, and he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. So what we see is, is God's instructions, the way, the way God answers Abram is saying, bring me these animals, cut them in half, and lay them opposite one another. Basically make an aisle 
in order for us to better understand this, we have to understand the history of the time in ancient Near Eastern time. We have to understand that, that the, the significance of what's about to happen doesn't, doesn't go past Abraham's head. He's fully aware of what's about to happen. This is something that was very common during this time. To just cut these animals and what's about to happen as they laid them apart across one another is that they're about to take an oath. They're about to take an oath between one another saying, I will live up to these promises. And what we see is that, that and what, while this is common during this time, and it's not common for a king to enter into a, a relationship, into a covenant with his people. It's not common for, for a God, I meant, sorry, for a God, lowercase g, to enter into a covenant with people. So what happens is, is by when, um, when this happens, they lay the animals apart. And then the lower, the peasant, walks through between the animals. And what, and what he's saying is, is that if I don't live up to my end of the bargain, if I don't live up to this covenant, may what's happened to these animals happen to me. May death come over me if I do not live up to my end of the bargain, my end of the deal. This is an oath. This is a, a cursing oath. And it's trying to hold both parties accountable. And they both have to walk through. So what happens? Verse 12. The sun was going down, and a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and you shall come back here, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the inequity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God's answer to Abraham is he's laying out this, this promise. I'm going to make this promise to you that your people will possess this land. And he's doing so by, by, by making this oath of Abraham, and he has Abraham cut these animals and lay them apart. And what happens next in verse 17 is beautiful. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. What we have here is that, is that the, the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch, these are the manifestations of God. This is a, a theophany, as we would say. These, these, these torches in this pot represent God himself. And what happens? God himself walks between the pieces. And notice that, that God never asked Abram to walk through the pieces. I'm pretty sure Abram was expecting that to happen. Abram knows what's about to happen. He understands the significance of this covenant that he's going to be making with God. But God never asked Abram to walk between the pieces. So how does God respond to Abram's question in verse 8? God swears unto death that he will keep his promise to Abram. God secures the promise by swearing by himself, not by anyone else, by, by the most righteous thing that he can do, the most holy, the most 
the most powerful thing he could think of is, I swear unto myself that I will keep my promises. And if I don't, may what happened to these animals happen to me. And in essence, because Abraham didn't walk through through the, um, through the, between the pieces, God is also saying, if you don't keep your promise, if you don't keep your end, then what's, what happens to the animals happen to me. God is saying, if, 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 the, if the promise is not kept, may I cease to be holy. May I cease to be righteous. May I no longer be the all-powerful. May I no longer be the all-knowing. May the infinite become finite. And so God is saying, if I don't keep your promise, and if you don't keep your promise, let this happen to me. And we see that, that it did. Thousands and thousands of years later. What we see is that we see Jesus Christ and that God and the person of Jesus Christ comes down and is torn apart on the cross for our sins. Jesus on the cross is taking the curse of what's happening here in Genesis 15. The covenant curse that was supposed to be happening, that is what's happening at Calvary. God was taking the covenant curse that he promised he will if we did not keep up our end of the bargain. And it's a beautiful Beautiful thing. It's what we, we, we hear and we celebrate the coming of Christ. And what we have to keep remember, remembering and is that God loves and he works through his covenant. And throughout all creation, he's serving and he's looking, he's working in covenants and he's entering into a covenant relationship with us. All that it's, in, it's at its best peak on the cross on Calvary. And so we see that, that God is a God of covenants, that God loves his people so much that he's willing and he will make a way for them. What do we do now? Now that we, we have the opportunity to enter into a covenantal relationship with Christ. That's what we'll be hopefully talking about throughout the next couple of weeks. And understand that, that, that God loves us so much that he enters into a covenantal relationship with us and he's given us a way out and it's the only way that our sins, that we can be made righteous. I hope that that as we go about our weeks, that we remember that as as God's chosen people, we are in a covenantal relationship with him. And that we, even though we deserve to be judged for our wretchedness, for our depravity, for our sin, we're able to come and through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross able to believe in the work of Jesus and repent and if you haven't done so 
like I said earlier, please, please talk to someone. People here would love to explain what it means to enter into a covenant relationship with Christ. We can bow our heads and close our eyes. Father God, we come and we lay ourselves before your throne, before your throne of grace, before the throne of of your love and righteousness, Lord. We humble ourselves and we say thank you, Father God. Thank you for giving us a way out. For, for judging according to your righteousness. And the only way that our sins can be counted for is by your work, Father God. We thank you for not leaving us to our own. Because you can and you would be just in doing so. But you love us, Lord. We thank you. May we go through this week. May we be remembered that we are in a covenantal relationship with you. And may the weightiness of that weigh on our hearts. May we be convicted of any wrongdoing, of any sin that we have not repented of, Father God. We give you all the glory, give you all the praise. In your son's mighty and powerful name we pray. Amen. Hopefully learned just a little bit more about the depths of the mystery of God's grace through a covenant relationship with him. Uh, thank you, Ricardo. If you would stand with, with me. We'll finish by singing the same song that we ended on here, The Unbelievable. Come and see the inconceivable and believe God has come to dwell with us. Begotten Son, born into Adam's earth, promised one, fulfilling ancient words. God has come to of the mystery of your grace. And though our minds can't take it in, Lord, our hearts are filled with praise. He will heal the unhealable and He will save our bitter cup and emptied out as he is lifted up God has come to dwell with us who could ever know the 
salvation that those who put their faith and trust in you will ultimately live and be able to worship you forever lord god we praise you and we pray that that magnificent and marvelous truth would not fade throughout our weeks lord god let us be renewed with that truth every day um as we close uh, we just pray these things in your name amen uh pastor tim has a quick announcement as well you may be seated. Uh, good morning. Uh, the elders have asked that I just update you, uh, you on AJ and I as, as we go through this sabbatical period and, and seek to work on our marriage. Um, at this point, AJ is attending another church on Sundays in the hopes of just being able to rest uh, and be unnoticed without pressures uh, or questions. Uh, currently, AJ and I are, are seeing separate counselors uh, at this juncture, the counselors feel that because of some issues uh, that it's important for us to continue to see separate counselors. Uh, the counselors are coordinating their efforts, and the hope is we will be able to, uh, at the appropriate time, begin to work on the marriage issues. Uh, at this point, many questions, of course, remain concerning the path forward, uh, but AJ and I are following the guidance of our counselors, and we trust that God will work through them. Uh, because of the complexity of this, uh, there are items that are still unknown, and much of it of this develops uh, week to week in a rather fluid situation. Uh, this makes it difficult to make plans, and I just want you to know that I have prayerfully considered uh, that a point may come where I do have to put my love for my family uh, above my love for our church. Uh, the elders have been very gracious and understanding in this entire scenario and all the unknowns that are still ahead, uh, and I felt a, a love and concern from them for our family. Uh, we certainly appreciate your continued prayers and, and the support as our church, and we appreciate those who have reached out, uh, especially those who have contacted AJ to show love and support, and I know she's uh, appreciated uh, that as well. Uh, this is a season where God has been a great comfort, and we certainly are relying on him. Uh, it's good to know that God is sovereign in all things. Uh, it's good to know that Jesus is our merciful and faithful high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses when we cry out to him in the depths of our needs. Uh, please continue to walk with us and, and continue to pray that the Holy Spirit uh, would do some great and mighty things. Uh, I certainly wholeheartedly believe that God uses uh, all things for the glory for those uh, that love him, and I'm anxious to see that God would get all the glory in this incredibly uh, difficult trial. Uh, you're welcome to, to talk to me afterwards if you have questions or comments or, or you're uh, just around. 
Um, but thank you for, for everything, and, and thank you for uh, your prayers. And I, I'm sorry that it's just a lot of unknowns, and that's all that I can say to update you. Let's pray one last time. Lord God, we just pray that you are in control of all things. You're in control of this church. You're in control of uh, the situations with Pastor. Lord God, and we can ultimately find rest and comfort and peace in you, Lord God. Um, we pray that as a church, as we continue to move forward, that we would be the body of Christ, that others would see you in us, Lord God, that we would be able to connect and, and become one and, and uh, be harmonious together and ultimately live as a body of Christ to give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We're dismissed.